This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Tactical Friday, where we are back with Katie Campbell. You heard from her this past Monday, and I'm so excited to take a little bit deeper dive with her right now. Katie, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I loved our conversation from Monday, and there's a piece attached to it that I asked you a question about blind spots across industries, and you, you corrected me into a better way of framing soft skills into necessary skills from my police and military background, but also into the entrepreneurship corporate world, you see good and bad leaders across so many avenues, right? A lot of these leaders sometimes are lacking the self-awareness to know that they're the toxic leader, right? And the, the army actually went so far as to stricken the word toxic out of their verbiage, and you're not allowed to call it toxic leadership anymore. You have to say something leadership enhancement opportunities or something fancy, right? Wow. Because they were so turned off by, we don't want to call any leaders toxic. So we're, we essentially started shielding leaders from understanding that they are toxic at times. Is there anything you could recommend tactically for the audience? Maybe they're lacking self-awareness. Maybe they consistently have, like you said, the flame out. They can't hit that next uh, level. They were, they've plateaued because maybe they're missing these necessary skills. Is there anything you can recommend to take action on to bring a little bit of self-awareness to somebody or help somebody with that self-awareness to see if they need to enhance their necessary skills? Sure. So let's take it just from the leadership angle on this one. There's a couple of things that I work with clients to do to help increase that self-awareness. At the organizational level, an easy one is looking at their engagement surveys. Most companies will have some sort of a survey, even if it's a homegrown, they do it through SurveyMonkey where it's asking about how people's experience is at work. Having just hard data can be very helpful because otherwise a, a leader who is not self-aware is walking through their organization and they think that everything's fine. So that usually gives people sort of a safe, neutral space to be able to share their thoughts and opinions without the fear of retaliation. Another tactic that I use quite often is I help leaders do a 360 assessment. So they actually get to pick a handful of people to give them feedback on their performance and really direct things around how they're showing up, how they treat people, and just where they have areas of improvement. And I've seen that process be really helpful. Again, it doesn't always, sometimes it's anonymous, sometimes it's not, but it really allows people who are closest to the source the opportunity to hold up the mirror and say, this is how we experience the way that you are in staff meeting, the way that you are with the board, the way that you are one-on-one, -on -one, et cetera. If you still are not sure, but you feel like you have a good relationship with people, I recommend that leaders once a quarter send a list of questions out to their team and ask for, I call it upward feedback. And so it's questions like, what is something that I could start doing or stop doing that would be helpful to you? How can I better support your professional development and goals? How could I be a better colleague to you? And then usually something that's open-ended. What's something about me that I'm doing that you think that I should have more awareness around? 
I recommend once a quarter, you send out an email with those same five questions, let people kind of think about it, and then do a one-on-one session and have them give you feedback. Come sit down in our office or in our Zoom, wherever we meet, and let's talk about it. And there needs to be sometimes some coaching to get people to be really receptive to what comes on the other end. There is a skill around that. But the first step is being willing and open to just actually have the conversation. And so those are three examples of things that I've seen be really powerful. And they're tools that I absolutely use in my practice to help build that self-awareness for leaders. And I love the concept, maybe not open door policy. I know that's always a thing that some leaders promote and then their next lower level leader says, if you use that, you're going to get your butt chewed for, you know, going around me to have the open door policy. I I like the concept. I love the concept of fireside chats with employees, especially once a quarter, right? Just touching base because no matter the level of the organization, I think it's important, especially if it's broken down in a hierarchy, kind of like the military, right? Where you might Mm -hmm. not do the entire organization, but maybe you're doing a, a step or two below you in the leadership scale, right? Do you think those are truly effective or do you think people are too nervous to share true feedback for fear of repercussions? Mm, That's a great question. So I do think they're helpful, but when I'm working with a a leader or an organization and they're starting to implement these things, part of the, the setup is you have to be willing to go the distance with it. For example, there's a lot of companies who will do a, an employee survey and then they won't share the results. They won't talk about changes that they're going to make. And sometimes it just dies on the vine and they don't do anything with it. It's terrible. So it's really showing people that if you want to create change, if you want to create that openness, if you want to have that level of transparency in your organization, it can absolutely happen. It doesn't matter the type of organization, but it's about consistency and it's about then following through with what you say you're going to do. So if you're going to do a fireside chat and you say, we're going to do these once a quarter, then schedule them and do them once a quarter. If you're going to do a survey and you say, yeah, we're going to share with you the results, then share the results. Just be honest about what you're doing. That helps lessen the anxiety for the individual employee who's willing to put up their hand and say, hey, Zach, can I share something with you that's been on my mind? And you want that as the boss. You need to have that as the boss, but it's the consistency over time and then being willing to be open to whatever comes your way. And a funny piece attached to that, and I've seen it from the military into corporate and several different organizations. When that feedback, I think you have the the superstars, right? You always have your A plus employees, your 2% of the workforce, right? Then you have your 10, the 80% that really the backbone of the company that really carry everything. And I've seen it where they have opportunities to push feedback up or there's that dialogue, hey, I would really love to relay this problem, but it stops halfway up the chain, right? Because maybe that mid-level manager or mid-level leader doesn't want to have their boss know how terrible it is that they're, of a job they're doing. So that information gets censored, right? Or censored to an extent. Sure. And then even these fireside chats, right? The What I've seen, and I'd be curious your experience in it, how often is that leader, the CEO, the the top person, how often do they actually have no clue about what's going on in the organization? Because that information keeps getting censored away from them for fear of repercussions from other leaders, if that makes sense. It's a lot. It, the number's pretty high. I would say in about 70% of organizations, that's what you see. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's some kind of condition within the company that suggests, whether it's real or imagined, that if I show weakness, if I show failure, I am going to get fired. And so and I, I see this a lot in companies who've been around for a long time. 
So people have been there 10, 20, 30 years, and they just ingested this. It's usually a made up rule that if I fail or I'm struggling as a leader, they're going to, I'll lose everything. And so a lot of times they will do a lot of cover up for people. The other thing is that I've also found, and this is fascinating, I don't know, this is personal data, but that there are leaders who are, and I can use the word toxic because I'm not in the army, um, that are toxic leaders, but they also are smart. So they hire really capable people around them. So their results look really great, but everybody is miserable. And um, I've seen this firsthand. It's completely defeating, but it also then shields the CEO or president for them knowing what's really going on because they're like, they get great results. They're winning awards. What is the problem? They're profitable, but their people are miserable. And so there's, it just, it happens more often than not. And so that's why I think doing these 360s, doing these surveys and really getting the entire organization committed to openness and transparency, you can usually weed those people out. But when the organization is missing some of those steps, that's where that 70% number really does creep in. Yeah, and it's a sad thing. And I have a personal experience attached to it with the military when I was getting uh, medically retired. I got injured uh, during a deployment, have nerve damage in my left arm and had to have surgery on it. The surgery went very poorly. And then in the transitions from active duty to that retired medical status, I lost insurance multiple times and had to come out of pocket to pay for recovery costs attached to decently severe injury. Um, and as I pushed stuff up the chain, properly following the chain of command, things kept not happening and not happening. And come to find out there was one choke point of an individual that I don't think highly of, obviously. And then find out, come to find out about uh, a year after all of this was going on, the two-star general that was in charge of all these people ended up being a speaker at one of my events. And I was still going through this process. Oh. That's the funny piece is like, and this two-star reports directly to the president attached mm -hmm. to this organization, right? So the funny thing that some of these mid-level managers don't realize is how often that that separation is very small. I never intended to go to the two-star and complain about his organization, but as he was my speaker and we had a conversation, all of a sudden there was some stuff rolling downhill very quickly because there was such a choke point. He had no idea. That's why I asked that question is like, man, it, he had, he was absolutely clueless and it's a large organization. I mean, what he was in charge of was, you know, 10, 15,000 people across the state. So you have to think, you know, he's not going to be aware of everything, but it's unfortunate to see those mid-level choke points that really aren't doing justice to the overall culture of the organization. It's true. I worked with the Fortune 500 company years ago and their CFO was the choke point. And it was, and, and it created a ripple effect that they were not able to see down to the individual level. The idea that a CFO of a Fortune 500 company was making decisions about whether we should pay an entry level person 50 cents more for what they're doing doesn't make any sense at all. There's a choke point for so many different things. And the CEO knew that they were toxic. Everybody on the executive team knew that they were toxic and nobody decided to take action. So sometimes that happens too, that, that, it is the inaction when there's awareness and that causes even bigger concerns. I'm sure in this organization, the two-star went and, and made changes, right? And things, oh, was things very happened. Quickly after that. I bet it was. <laughs> <laughs> but in other situations, right. what is worse is when everybody, the CEO, the president knows where the choke point is and does nothing about it. That creates an even bigger level of toxicity in the organization. And it can last for decades after they're gone. 
Yeah, there's a uh, phrasing in the military that I heard once and stole it because you see it in leadership. Because I had a, a separate two star on this podcast a while back. So as I was researching content for a book and and my doctorate that I did not get accepted to, by the way, but I was doing a research topic based on leadership in the military and. As I submitted all this information, the two-star who was in charge of all of Army training, uh, tra doc, training and indoctrination, so every soldier in the Army went through the organization he was in charge of, he blatantly stated he saw zero value in outside leadership resources such as John Maxwell and had no value in bringing them into a military organization to talk about leadership because they've never served and don't understand. And you just went palm to forehead. Absolutely. Yeah. Same response I had. I'm like, so you're, and I was still active duty. So I had to be very respectful of in course, that, in that of next course. comment. But I'm like, got it. So that explains quite a bit of the phrasing that I've stolen since is institutional inbreeding. Won't accept outside influence at all. All of a sudden you have just this terrible inbreeding problem and nothing shifts across decades of different things to your point. I'll still call you Dr. Knight. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day, but yeah, I'm not an academic, thankfully. So I'll, that'll we'll get to an honorary doctorate somewhere <laughs> like Taylor Swift and you'll be good to go. Oh, I'm totally a Swifty. So we'll just fall in line with her. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Well, well Katie, I, I want to wind this down and make sure everybody has an opportunity to reach out to you and, and uh, talk to you more about this amazing topic and how they can discover their own necessary skills to uh, develop on a further, higher level. What would be the best way for the audience to follow along with you, connect with you, and uh, take the next step with you? Rock on. So my website is ColibriMagic.com. You can also find me on Instagram, TikTok, at, at the Katie Campbell, because there's apparently a few of us out there. So it's the Katie Campbell, and then also on LinkedIn. I absolutely love it, Katie. You're amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, and thank you so much for the insights. And I look forward to uh, chatting more in the future. Zach, you're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.